The audio you're about to hear was recorded in Anchor. Learn more at anchor.fm. This is Shayla Adam Stafford, and you're listening to PBL in Practice. Thank you for tuning in to another week of Project-Based Learning in Practice, a weekly broadcast where we talk with top leaders in project-based learning to discover best practices, share successes and failures, and learn from one another. My name is Shayla Adam Stafford, and I've been an educator for the past 10 years, focusing specifically on project-based learning. I had the amazing opportunity to speak at the White House in 2015 and share how PBL looks in my classroom before a room of national leaders. I'm a member of the National Faculty of Buck Institute, founder of Remix Education, a nonprofit that serves first-generation college-bound students. Enough about me, let's get into our guest. Our guest for today is Melissa Teets, a 20-year teaching veteran and National Board Certified Teacher. She spent six years teaching in Moore County, North Carolina, before moving to Raleigh and teaching at Northern Durham High School. She's taught at Person High School, Hillside New Tech High School, where we met uh, several years ago, Three Springs Wilderness Camp, and other venues. Uh, she is currently teaching AP Literature at Bartlett Yancey High School in Caswell County and providing professional development and PBL to her staff. Let's dive into the interview. Hey, Melissa, how are you? I'm fine, Shayla. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for being a guest on PBL in Practice. Um, Melissa and I taught at Hillside New Tech many moons ago, um, and she, <laughs> she was my partner in crime on a lot of things. And so I definitely am honored to have her um, as one of our first guests on PBL in Practice. And so we just heard a little bit about your background, but what else should listeners know about you, Melissa, and just something that we wouldn't know if just by listening to your bio? Um, well, something I don't know if you ever knew was um, that I coached boys basketball. Um, when I joined uh, Barley Yancey, where I'm at now, I was the head coach. I did that for, for three years. So I spent about 15 or 16 years coaching boys basketball here in North Carolina at the, the high school, mm-hmm. JV and varsity level. Okay. Okay. The the question in North Carolina when it comes to basketball is which team are you on? You know, are you Duke or UNC? And I'm a Duke team member. Okay. Um, All right. <laughs> and you're right. It is a North Carolina thing. When I lived in West Virginia, you could really like both. And then you come down here and it's, it's not an option oh, no. at all, is it? <laughs> <laughs> there is a very clear um, delineation. You're either Duke or UNC. So, yes. um, well, at least it's in Durham. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so um, tell us a little bit about what brought you to project-based learning. Um, I was actually teaching at Person High School for a while and then started teaching at a wilderness school out in, in Chatham mm-hmm. County, North Carolina. Wow. And it was just yeah, it was very different. Just um, I was at a point where I didn't know if I wanted to be outside of the classroom, I guess literally, uh, or what it was exactly that I wanted to do. And I really enjoyed my time out there. Uh, you know, people tell you all the time, no matter where you teach, that kids are kids. And, and that was really the case. I really serious um, drug issues, serious issues with the law, who really wow. just needed some attention and some refocusing and 
was a really great place to, to work and it shut down. Uh, the state shut down all their facilities and, um, Dan Guilford, who's the principal of Northern Durham High School now, told me about an opening at New Tech. And it was a, it was really an awakening when I walked in and saw what you guys were doing and looked at a grade book and things like that. So um, I kind of got thrown into to project-based learning. Yeah, yeah. And, and even though you were thrown in, you did an amazing job. You did amazing work with the kids um, at Hillside New Tech. And um, what do you feel now looking back and some of the work that you're doing now and tr- actually training teachers in PBL, um, what do you think is your PBL superpower? I think it's getting along with my students and having a student-centered environment. That part of my teaching wasn't really hard to change. Uh, mm-hmm. There were a lot of things that were very different. And I did notice that all of you guys were very young, very uh, very new to teaching, and really didn't understand right. how much work you were putting into your your work. <laughs> um, you were just we there at no 7 o'clock, and that's how it was. So, um, but I think I've always had a student-centered classroom. I've always cared more about you know my kids than test results or other things. And so that part, I think, was was quite natural. And I think you really need to understand what the kids – need and how they're going to get it um, in order to do anything in project-based learning is to really understand what the kids can do and how they can get that done. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. And I want to dive deeper into really what this student-centered classroom and, and the management style looks like. And maybe we'll get to that in a, in a few, but can you tell us a little bit about a time or a story or a student that really was like your breakthrough PBL moment? I think the group of students that I had my first uh, my first semester there, I, I kind of got there in the middle of a semester, and I assigned them to design a website, which meanwhile I was learning to do at the same time, <laughs> and um, probably, and he's probably a breakthrough kid for a lot, everyone who taught him, but Khalil Gonzalez just um. knew what, and if he didn't know how to do it, he found out so fast. And just took the time to, to listen. He was obviously the leader in every group he was around, but you really had to pay attention because he just, he listens to everyone's ideas and made them all feel important. And, you know, now that he's almost the CEO of McDonald's or whatever, I mean, that's, you know, not really surprising to us, but right. seeing how he worked within a group dynamic like that really showed me what you guys have been able to accomplish with these kids. You know, I had them as juniors. So those three years, you know, two and a half years you guys had with them, just so much about what they learned about working in a group that, you know, a lot of adults don't understand. Yeah, yeah. And I I, I agree, really just creating like a pipeline for students so that by the time they are juniors, they are really running their own classroom if they're not at the onset um, and managing it themselves and learning those really critical collaboration skills. You mentioned um, the concept of having a student-centered classroom management style. Can you talk more about some specific moves you make to really create a student-centered time or student-centered um, environment for your, for your kids? Well, honestly, and I think one of the reasons I brought up coaching is I think coaching has a lot to do with it. Um, I, right. I teach 
as in I'm always about we in, in our classroom. This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And to really encourage everyone to get involved with what we're doing, uh, mm-hmm. kind of a, a, you know, no man left behind kind of thing and mm-hmm. to help them to, to push one another. Um, I'm outside of it in a lot of ways. I, I design the work that they do and people ask what a, you know, PBL centered classroom is like, and we know what it looks like. It looks like us behind our desk half the time, like we're not doing anything. Um, and the students are just running away with whatever it is that they're doing. And so I, I try to design the lessons for them and then just really let them take those ideas and those concepts where they're going to go. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's giving them some say in what we're going to study, but not always. But it's just allowing mm-hmm. them to have that time for, to develop their own leadership skills, to, to disagree with one another, with you, yeah. to provide them with a safe space for that and to learn how to communicate with one another in a way that, that they just don't get to in traditional classrooms, no matter how hard teachers try or, or believe that they're letting them do that. They just don't get that collaboration any other way. Yeah, no, no. And I think one of the key points you brought up was the design of your lesson. And I think that a lot of folks that are just getting into project-based learning, um, really underestimate the amount of time in designing a really um, <laughs> meaningful project, how much it takes. Um, and you've done some projects that have been really hard hitting. Um, you have done a project on 9-11 and we're actually teaching, I think this year or maybe it was last year, the first group of students that were born after 9-11. Yeah. Um, and so how do you design a project that's student-centered um, and you're really dealing with things that these students have really no, you know, reference to. And, but we know that there's something major that happened in our country. I um, mean, it's a very deep and very tragic topic. Like, how do you infuse all of that into a project um, that really touches students and, and moves them with the content as well? So the the area where I teach now is a it's a very impoverished, very rural area, and, and a lot of the students um, have someone in the military, or it's their goal to go to the military. So mm-hmm. sometimes I've been able to introduce the project that way. Um, conspiracies have become such a big deal, and I was surprised that they kind of had a hook into my students. Honestly, uh, even nine mm-hmm. eleven conspiracy theories, it did surprise me. But so this year, uh, the project that I did with my students was kind of a conspiracy-based unit. And, of course, so we needed some background in 9-11. And, it, you know, it is complete history to them. You know, how right. many planes were there? How many, you know, who hit what? Um, because of the way the U.S. history courses have been taught, they're a year long now. I think last year was the first year they were able to actually get to 9-11. Get to it, yeah. But um, so I kind of picked up the slack on that before. But so mm-hmm. with some background on that, uh, this year we did 9-11, the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, and Hurricane Katrina. And so we watched some documentaries on those. Uh, the students, we did editorial articles, things like that. And I'm really loving teaching with documentaries more. Um, mm-hmm. My students last year, one of their projects was to do a documentary. But giving them those things mm-hmm. and allowing them to really just to sit and process, you know, you compare the deaths of 9-11 to the deaths of Hurricane Katrina and, and realize they were pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. And to just, you know, listen to 
when the levees broke, the people that Spike Lee interviewed, he was masterful with the picked regular folks, just regular folks, right. uh, you know, white, black, brown, yellow, and and they just they just told you. And so yeah. you try to find a way to to humanize these issues and to get the students involved with them. And then mm-hmm. all high school students really want to do is give you their opinion. So you know, <laughs> if that project you know, gives them an outlet for that, and, and mine recorded a, a podcast based on the particular conspiracy they chose, um, mm-hmm. you give them an outlet. Sounds stupid, you know, because you know PBL asks you to publish these things, you know, to make them public, to give them some right. accountability and they need to be informed. So, you know, if you're going to put mm-hmm. yourselves out there with this opinion, you can't sound stupid. Um, you know, so what is it that you need to know and to understand in order to put out an intellectual product of your own thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. And, and giving them the ownership of, Hey, you're publishing this podcast and this is your opinion and people are going to listen to it. Um, just in the design of the product itself is kind of allowing you to step back. What do you do it like in your classroom, um, specifically like while the project is going to kind of push back a, a little bit and to let them run with it? Are there any specific moves you make or that you've kind of noticed that you've done over why over the, over the past few years, um, that have contributed to a more student centered environment? Um, I think last spring I did a, my seniors had to do a documentary for their final project and I, had, I was fortunate to have a pretty mature group and we deadlines were important, but they were between myself and the, you know, the secretary mm-hmm. for the group. Um, okay. we had a digital checkout list for equipment. Um, oh, so everything yeah. was kind of digital where they could kind of see where they were. As far as all their deadlines, they knew what was being checked out when. They had to have a place where they told me who they were interviewing, when. And, and that's the part of PBL I try to, when I'm telling my teachers, you know, I've, I've probably taught how to write interview questions every year, but I don't really know if they yeah. cared. But last year when my kids had to interview you know, police officers or doctors or lawyers or anything else, then they really cared, you know, how to write an interview question. Right. And it's just providing them right. that realistic con- context. And before, at a traditional mm-hmm. school, you, you do your project at the end, and they show you what they learned. And it's hard for people to understand how PBL is different. You know, it's giving them all those skills yeah. as they go. And it's a very big it's a very big paradigm shift. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, what would you say has been your most challenging PBL moment. You talked about your breakthrough moment, um, your breakthrough student, um, but what has been your most challenging moment? I think probably going from New Tech to a traditional high school where I didn't necessarily mm-hmm. know the backgrounds of the kids as much and the capabilities. We were really spoiled in a one-to-one setting with kids who, I know you're a young pup, but those kids taught me, they programmed my phones. They did, you know, they did everything for me, technology. <laughs> and, you know, I came into a school with, with, you know, where kids are still hitting enter, you know, to go from one line to the next while they're typing. And um, so I really mm-hmm. had to figure out where their skill set was, what I could do to help them, you know, what their expectations were. Well, we don't have as many of our students go to four-year colleges. But, you know, so what is my expectation? What do I want from them? 
We have a lot who go to two-year colleges here and transfer. So what, what skills do they need to know and what resources do I have? So I think it, it took a little mm-hmm. time for me to see exactly. And I think going into any new school would be difficult to figure out, you know, where the kids are. What you know, We have kids in our county who don't have Internet access, just period, people who don't have Internet access because of where they live. You know, we have teachers who can't access the Internet at home. Right. So, you know, there are a lot of things to understand before you just kind of jump in, because one of the things that's really important early on in PBL is, is their buy-in, but it's also that they can find success. Um, And so you really want to set them up to, you know, to fail with your, with your first project. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's a really good point because buy-in, students will buy in, but if they start to feel like, hey, this is, kind of impossible right like there are no (laughs) there are no there are no possibilities of this coming out you know well or i have no way to access internet at all um how can we still make a meaningful project for them and that that definitely can present a a major challenge and it's hard for a teacher because you spend Um, all that time designing the perfect project and then halfway through you're like well okay let's just scrap this and that's you know that's a big step too (laughs) Yep, and that's happened yep. to me before. <laughs> um, it does, it does. Um, what tips do you have for PBL practitioners specifically related to the e- ELA courses? Um, and I know that you teach AP Lit. Um, do you also teach AP Lang? No, our school doesn't have it. Um, I teach the AP okay. Lang curriculum in our 11th grade class somewhat is kind of my pre-AP class. So mm-hmm. the AP Lang is primarily nonfiction, rhetoric, persuasion, and stuff like that, which I really love. So um, I do it a lot in mm-hmm. 11th grade. Um, okay. I think AP, that's but, Yeah, what tips do you have for English teachers working with PBL? I think that uh, PBL is an excellent way to get the kids to practice on the nonfiction side of things. Um, none of us become English teachers because we want to teach speeches and journals. Um, how, you know, we, we want to teach <laughs> poetry and, and novels and things like that. But nonfiction is a huge mm-hmm. part of our curriculum now and common core and different things. And it allows kids to, yeah. to do research, to get their opinions out there. If it's designing a website, if it's a mm-hmm. podcast, if it's a documentary, uh, if it's a presentation to, you know, to a group of people. The torture project that I did, you know, the kids presented to, you know, a former military police officer. And we heard from, oh, uh, wow. at NewTech, we had a Duke law professor come in who had actually worked with the Bush administration on some of those policies that I was totally in. But things, they can get the kids really going on nonfiction and you might become, as a teacher, a little more enthusiastic about it as well. Um, it's actually it's yeah. a really cool way to to get the kids a little more engaged, and sometimes sometimes we're the ones that are more engaged in the fiction and the poetry, but they can really get hooked with right. the nonfiction and the things that they can do with that and and put out there. And um, I just I really think that's a way yeah. for them to look at it. Yeah, absolutely. So my last question here, just really. I'm asking if you have any specific organizational tools that have really helped you as a PBL practitioner. Um, I, I use the curriculum uh, maps. Um, I don't know. Mm-hmm. 
I hated turning them in, but um, I definitely, <laughs> I, I definitely like seeing everything in front of me at one time. Um, yeah. There are a lot of things in the PBO handbook to, to walk you through a project, but I like seeing everything there at one time. Um, one of the things that, that I know right. I'm not very good at that I think uh, Catherine Livingston, whom we talked with, is wonderful at is, is workshopping. And there are some organizers yeah. because it's so hard to know when a workshop is going to pop up. Um, sometimes right. the kids, they needed a, a workshop in film editing. And so, and don't well, but um, so right. there are some tools. I'm sorry. You said don't, don't be afraid to outsource right. those workshops. Right. I've had a lot. Yeah. Of, and what do you mean by that? I have an instructional facilitator at my school who helps me a lot with the, technology the video editing we've have um mm-hmm. our media center coordinator has done a great job work with my students and we do some breakout edu lessons for bonding where the kids mm-hmm. it's kind of like um an escape room scenario oh, and yeah. they have to like my students after they read gatsby they had to answer some questions on gatsby to get an invitation to his party and things like that so um <laughs> you know, it's, it's not all about you and if really 21st century and collaboration and all that, you know, there are people who know what you need a whole lot better than you, especially if you're making it a kind of a multidisciplinary project. And so, you know, go out there and get that help and set up those workshops with other people. And, um, and I think the kids enjoy it. And I know the people that I work with feel much more involved with the kids that way. And it's, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Melissa, it has been such a pleasure talking to you and thank you so much for sharing all of this knowledge um, with our listeners. How can folks get in contact with you if they want to keep the conversation going? Are you on Twitter? Uh, I am on Twitter at Melissa. Melissa all Tews, right. And uh, they can find me there. Awesome. So can you oh, spell, sorry. just spell <laughs> it out just a little bit. No, no, it's fine. That was cool. Melissa, M-E-L-I-S-S-A, but my last name is Teets. T is in Tom, E-E, T is in Tom, S as in Sam. And it's been a pleasure reconnecting awesome. with you, and I really wish you the best of luck yes. with your projects. Thank you so much. Right. Same to you. That's it for PBL in Practice, and tune in next week, everybody, for more tips and resources for your projects. Have a wonderful week. The audio you just heard was recorded in Anchor. Learn more at anchor.fm.